This episode has been brought to you in part by Canderell and Kingset Capital. Coming soon, affordable luxury condominium living at 908 St. Clair West. Nestled into a vibrant, one-of-a-kind neighborhood, 908 St. Clair West is a modern treasure, offering a sophisticated lifestyle inspired by St. Clair Village and prestigious Forest Hill. Register today at 908stclairwest.com. Freedom of expression, assembly, and association are cornerstones of democracy. But Nazi symbolism, racist imagery, and desecration of war memorials are not. It is an insult to memory and truth. That was, of course, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau on Monday reacting to the ongoing freedom convoy of truckers and the protests that hit Ottawa over the weekend. And watching it all unfold from her home in Ottawa was Marcy Sirks. But this time, for the first time in years, she was watching it as a private citizen. Last week was Sirks' last day as Justin Trudeau's chief policy advisor in the Prime Minister's office. Sirks stepped down from the job for personal reasons, mostly the crazy stressful hours of running Canada under the pandemic and working all the time except Shabbat. She's been in charge of the government's positions on all the major files, but she's also been the gatekeeper for Jewish leaders who want to get the prime minister's ear. And she's taught him a thing or two. I've taught him how to uh, pronounce Jewish, uh, pronounce Hebrew words uh, properly um, with the uh, appropriate at the end, um, so to speak. So if you ever watch any of his videos and you think, wow, he really knew how to say Chag Sameach. I will uh, I will uh, take uh, credit for a little bit of that. I'm Ellen Besner, and this is what Jewish Canada sounds like for Tuesday, February the 1st, 2022. Welcome to the CJN Daily, sponsored by Metropia. Marcy Sirks has been called the air traffic controller in the prime minister's office. For the last two years, it was her job to make sure all the cabinet ministers were carrying out their mandates and to figure out which new laws should be introduced into Parliament. And she was even one of the nine people who Russia banned from travelling there in retaliation for Canada putting sanctions on Moscow after poisoning an opposition leader and jailing him. Sirks grew up in Montreal. She went to Brandeis for journalism and politics. Then she got a law degree at McGill and came to Ottawa with Trudeau 15 years ago, in 2007, when he was still in opposition. But the last two years, she's been one of the most influential and powerful people on Parliament Hill, and her fingerprints have been all over Trudeau's relationship with the Jewish community, especially lately, with a spike in anti-Semitism. Coming up, Marcy Sirks will be here to pull back the curtain on her job in the PMO, where she had to carry three cell phones with her. But first, here's what's making news elsewhere in Canada. I'm Dr. Alexis Lerner in Annapolis, Maryland, and this is what Jewish Canada sounds like. The Ontario New Democratic Party has dropped the former mayor of Ajax, Steve Parrish, as their candidate for the upcoming provincial election in Ajax after the controversy over his support for naming a local street after a wartime Nazi Navy captain. We reported on it just last week, and we had our interview with Emma Cunningham, she quit as an NDP writing president because of it. Parrish apologized for hurting Jewish people's feelings, but not for keeping the street name the way it was. Marcy Sirks joins me now from her home in Ottawa, which she shares with her partner, Rabbi Dara Lithwick, who also works as a lawyer on Parliament Hill. 
and the couple's two children. You and I are both poli-sci majors. So a little primer, the PMO's office is really important in Canada. What did, what you had, how many staff under you doing what while you were there? So uh, my role um, in the prime minister's office, if you imagine it being the, the nerve center, um, I was sort of at this uh, intersection where all of the information about everything that's happening from a public policy perspective flowed through my uh, my shop, my my team. Uh, there was myself and, and I worked with a team of, uh, of roughly 10 policy advisors uh, and some administrative staff who were focused on uh, ensuring that we know what was happening uh, and helping to shape the direction and 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 uh, and uh, coordinate uh, all of the public policy work across all of the minister's offices, which are at the top of all of the departments of government. It was 10 out of how many? It's probably, it fluctuates. It's about 100 people, give or take. Since I've been there over the last two years, I've probably worked with about half a dozen uh, fellow Jewish colleagues. So it's not... Uh, it's, it's not a minion, um, but it's not nothing. Um, but I would say, I mean, in terms of, in terms of being Jewish within the prime minister's office, I, I certainly have not had um, uh, an exclusive mandate uh, to work on issues of concern to the Jewish community, but there is no issue of concern to the Jewish community that I was not brought into uh, to be part of that conversation, um, to weigh in, uh, to, either uh, run with if, if appropriate, um, or, or at least to, to gauge my opinion on, um, certainly. What did you do to get the uh, emergency summit on anti-Semitism set up? How, how, how much was that with you? Yeah, it was um, the, uh, the community, uh, community leadership from a, a number of different organizations um, began to approach uh, approached me, approached other representatives of the government, different ministers, uh, looking for a forum of that sort, uh, because it was, uh, it was desperately needed. Uh, and uh, I was, I was, you know, I was positioned uh, to be able to uh, advise in favor of it taking place. Uh, and, uh, and to help uh, to ensure the prime minister was there, uh, to ensure that the right ministers were there uh, in that virtual room, uh, and that the voices, uh, voices were heard. Uh, and that on the back end uh, of that summit, that there would be follow through and that work continues uh, to this day. And there's there's considerable follow through um, on that, including uh, the pledges uh, at the Malmo conference this past fall. Uh, and you may have noticed just uh, just last week, uh, the government has committed to uh, writing a handbook uh, to a company um, uh, to to you know lend color and credence to the IRA definition. Um, and uh, and and uh, I think that is a really important step forward uh, for all of us. Can you tell us how this happened? I remember this so well. Friday afternoon, Sija announced there's going to be a summit. Then Erwin Kotler announced it on Twitter. Then Bardish Chagger announced it. And we're like, what? It's four o'clock on Friday. How did that happen? I, I just, I think the reality is that um, government is uh, often dancing at multiple parties at the same time. Uh, and as I said earlier, sequencing is, uh, is everything. Uh, and maybe in that instance, the, the timing wasn't exactly um, the right timing uh, in terms of reaching the, uh, the audience that the government was attempting to reach. But it was, there was sort of no malice behind that. It's just when things come together and uh, when the information is ripe and ready. And I think if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken in that instance, I do, I think the, the government announcement was intended to, to come earlier, but 
wires got crossed or what have you. But again, I mean, certainly not for any uh, not for any ill reason. And the bottom line is the information got out and the summit took place. Uh, and I think was, uh, like I said, a, a pretty crucial moment in terms of uh, in terms of uh, engagement uh, and relationship building and uh, and continued work uh, in partnership and allyship uh, between the communities and the government. Why was the government and this and whether this was your decision or not, did they not invite to be part of it, but just to listen, Erin O'Toole and Jagmeet Singh and the other major leaders. Uh, yeah, I look. I think that I think ultimately uh, it was appropriate to have uh, to have the opposition leaders there. My my fervent view is that on issues of concern to the community, uh, whether it is domestic issues or on Israel, that it is uh, in everybody's best interest that it actually not be a partisan issue. Um, I I really think that. Um, the community benefits when representatives from all parties uh, acknowledge uh, and work together uh, on uh, on these critical matters. So uh, that's my that's my personal view on on those things. I, I hate to see um, I hate to see Jewish issues be uh, be used as a political football. I think it is. Uh, I, I just don't think that serves any of us. Speaking about that, you were mentioning that Jewish groups were lobbying you. My producer sent me a link to the lobbying page of the federal government's lobbying commission that watches these things. And most number of times that had your name lobbied was from the CJUS this past year. I don't know if you're aware of that, that they put they put that in, right? You don't. Yes. No, they put that in. No, I, I hadn't done the tally, but that's that's interesting. Right. Way more than anybody group. There was one other Jewish person down there was Ellie Alboim on behalf of the Jewish Federation of Greater Vancouver. So um, did they are you the point person for Jewish lobbying in the PMO or, you know, because of your position, that seems like a lot. I I would say uh, twofold. Um, in terms of any issues that are registered as as lobbying activities, um, uh, the fact that I'm of the community and understand the issues that they are uh, bringing forward as as uh, as issues that are germane um, is is clearly uh, one of the reasons why um, I would say that you know I I certainly I meet with groups from all across the spectrum uh, and and on myriad issues. Um, but uh, but certainly I have worked with CJ very closely and and I worked with them as, as exceptionally closely when I was at public safety uh, on uh, on renewing security infrastructure program and broadening that out. And that is, uh, I think, a vital program of, of the federal government. Let's talk about two things that you know the prime minister well, two things about him that you think would surprise our listeners. Hmm. Um. Well, I'll give you one um, one bit um, just in relation to uh, Jewish community understanding, and then I'll give myself a minute to think about a second one. Um, in terms of uh, in terms of Jewish community, I don't know if everyone knows this um, or or um, has uh, heard him speak about it. He doesn't speak about it often, though he does. When he does, it's it's really um, it's really quite moving. But um, uh, he uh, he did uh, travel. Um, I guess it's probably about five or six years ago now to Auschwitz. Um, and um, uh, he, um, you know, he continues to maintain a, a close friendship with Rabbi Shire um, from the Shah in Montreal, um, who uh, I hope it's okay that I'm mentioning that, um, who, uh, who was uh, on that delegation along with survivors. And, um, and uh, I think to this day, uh, the Prime Minister thinks of Rabbi Shire as his rabbi um, and uh, trusted confidant and uh, somebody who, um, who he uh, turns to um, for wisdom uh, and teaching and understanding. Uh, and I, I, have, um, 
I have uh, really drawn great strength uh, from that connection and that that relationship. Uh, and I think it has been um, probably mutually beneficial. Um, but I know that it's guided the the PM, and and he has turned you know he has turned it into a, a really deep understanding. Does he study uh, Talmud with him and Torah, or he just talks about no faith the, in general? Yeah, just general, more general. I wouldn't say that the, that it's a, a studying type of relationship, but it's a it's a, a friendship uh, and uh, an exchange of uh, of ideas. And um, and I think that it has really grounded uh, the PM um, in um, in in the Jewish Canadian experience, um, but in you know in in uh, Jewish thought leadership and and um, and the PM uh, I know is um, has really taken uh, taken much uh, from that relationship as he has as well with his close and enduring friendship with Erwin Kotler um, and so I, I think that he uh, and I like to think I've taught him a thing or two as well <laughs> along the way um, but he has uh, he has a great um, he's had great leaders and and he has great insight um, into the community and when he speaks uh, about uh, the events at Coleville or the or, or you know, when uh, when the Shar Shemayim was was uh, when there was a near attack uh, last year, which was stopped thankfully, um, thanks to the the security cameras that the congregation put in place in partnership with the government of Canada. Um, he speaks to it from a place of of great understanding. So, how did it work when Jenica Atwin became a liberal after tweeting that Israel was apartheid? How did that? How did you navigate that? what it's not directly in my purview in terms of a responsibility. Um, I don't work for the, I'm not working for the liberal party. So obviously the party does recruitment of candidates. Um, I will say only this, like I, I certainly, um, I, I certainly uh, understand the the concerns that have been raised um, uh, about her continued presence in caucus. Uh, she is working, uh, has developed relationships with the Jewish members of our caucus uh, and, uh, and is, is, uh, I think coming to a place of a better understanding of why the words that she used were, were not the right words. I think she has sort of said as much um, and, uh, and, you know, and, and she continues to work with the caucus, but that's kind of a caucus matter. It's a little bit outside of my, a little bit outside of my swim lane, if, if uh, I'm being honest. So there's gotta be a book in this, a tell all book. No, I, yeah, I, I think, I think I have certainly enough material for uh, several volumes. There's no question about that. Uh, I don't know about tell all, um, but I am uh, definitely interested in uh, at some point having the opportunity to to write about what I've experienced because I actually think it's been um, a historic period for Canada uh, and I've been uh, right at the center of it. So uh, certainly lots to share at some point soon, uh, but I will take a, a bit of a rest first before I get to, to typing anything. And that's what Jewish Canada sounds like for this episode of the CJN Daily, sponsored by Metropia. Integrity, community, quality, and customer care. Today's listener shout-out goes to Dr. Eli Rabin. He's wintering in Phoenix, and he wrote in to tell us that there was one high-ranking Jewish-Canadian public servant who we neglected to mention in the episode that we did about the new Jewish Public Servants Network that's formed up in Ottawa. And he's right, and I actually knew him. He's Charles Gavsey. He was head of the St. Lawrence Seaway Commission in 1957. Thanks for writing in. And we'll end the episode with a special promotion. For the month of February, listeners to the podcast can use the promo code CJNDAILY to buy a subscription to our CJN Circle, and you'll get a third off. You'll save $36 off the regular price of $100, so you pay $64. 
The Circle is basically a membership, and it supports the podcast. Plus, you get exclusive invitations to events, you'll get a guaranteed spot on the new magazine mailing list, and you'll get special insider email newsletters. So go to the cjn.ca slash circle and use the coupon code CJNDAILY, all one word, when you pay. The link to find out more is in our show notes. And once again, thank you for your support.